I want to share a message with you for a few minutes today out of Isaiah chapter 1. If you would open your Bible to Isaiah chapter number 1, please. Isaiah chapter 1. Preaching a message today that the Lord put upon my heart. I've titled the message, Why We Should Pray for America. Why We Should Pray for America. Our anchor text of Scripture today will be on the screen. It is a familiar one to you, special to my heart, even more special as I've prepared for this wonderful Sunday. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. Hear the word of the Lord today. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you be willing, if you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. In a nutshell, that verse means this. Isaiah is speaking 700 years plus before the Lord Jesus Christ would come. He's speaking to Israel. They've come out of Egypt many years before. But now here they are and they're in a terrible predicament. Spiritually, they have lost ground. And that is an understatement. And here is a true man of God that stands up before the people of God. They're in Jerusalem and particularly Judah. And he says to them, let us reason together. In other words, he's saying, let's talk about the truth today. What's, what is the truth? Let us re- it's really a legal term. Let us reason together. And I think God would say to America today, let us reason together. Let us find out what's the truth about America. What's the truth about God? What's the truth about what the Lord has for us? And that truth we hold in our hands right here. There's none other. Come on, there's none other. This is the truth. That people are trying to twist today. That people are trying to change today. People are trying to compromise today. People are trying to change it. But we change it to our own peril. Come let us reason together. Let me show you the truth God would say. Though your sins are scarlet. You're standing there. Your hands are stained with blood. You're guilty. Is what he's saying. But I want to do something in your life. They can be white as snow. I mean, Jesus is in the life-changing business. Why we should pray for America. God bless this message today. Help this thy servant to speak only what you want me to speak today. You've given me this message. I ask you to penetrate every heart. We We love this land. We believe that you love this land. But Lord, we believe there are forces that at work, demonic spirits that are seeking to tear down our liberties, our freedoms. We pray, God, that you would send us help from above. For our help is not in man, but the Lord is our help. It's not by might or power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. We look to you today. Bless, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to speak fairly quickly. I want you to listen closely, please. Will you do that for me today? Say amen. We're going to deal with the first chapter of Isaiah today. And the Lord uses... This magnificent prophet of God, the prophet Isaiah. He's proclaiming a message to the nation of Israel, more particularly to the southern kingdom of Judah, and more particularly Jerusalem. Isaiah is called in the first verse the son of Amos. Magnificent. He was a theologian, he was a reformer, he was a statesman, he was a historian, he was a poet, he was an orator, he was a prince, he was a patriot. He was a prophet of the gospel before the gospel came to us. He's called the gospel prophet of the Old Testament. It's been said that his ministry is central in time. He walked across the stage of history right between Moses and our Lord Jesus Christ. God sent an Isaiah and oh, they needed one. He's one of the major prophets. Isaiah was called to his ministry in chapter 6 and verse 1. It says, in the, king, in the year that King Uzziah died, we read in chapter 6 of his great and magnificent calling. He saw the Lord in his temple. He was high and lifted up. His train filled the temple. 
He, he, in the presence of God, fell under such deep conviction. He said, woe is me. And you don't hear that much anymore because we're not much in the presence of God anymore. But I'm going to tell you, you ever got in the presence of God, you wouldn't say, that's the big man upstairs. You would fall down on your face and you would say, woe is me. I'm a sinful man. I live in the midst of a sinful people and I have seen the Lord. It was in the year that King Uzziah died. Scholars compute that to about the year 739 B.C. His ministry extended for some 60 years. 60 years faithfully doing what God called him to do. What a testimony of faithfulness. You can't get some people to do something more than six minutes. But 60 years through the reigns of Jotham, through the reigns of King Ahaz and godly King Hezekiah. And according to tradition, Isaiah died a martyr's death in 680 B.C., during the early reign of the vile, wicked king Manasseh. And legend has it that Isaiah was sawn in two because of the message that he preached that was rejected. We read in Hebrews 11, these words talking about the people of faith. And they were stoned and they were sawn in two. And some think that was Isaiah. The spiritual stature and strength of Isaiah the prophet, I don't think, can be overstated. He's a prophet of beauty, but he's a prophet of fierceness. When he was called to the ministry, the Lord said, who will go for us? And Isaiah said, here am I, Lord, send me. I'll be a prophet for you. I will be in the ministry for you. I will serve you. And then he added this, how long should I go, Lord? And the Lord responded in chapter 6, verse 11. Then I said, how long? Lord, how long? And he answered, notice, until the cities are laid waste without inhabitant, houses without man, till the land is utterly desolate, and the Lord has removed men far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land, but yet only a tenth will be in it and, and will return and be for." consuming as the terebinth tree or as the oak whose stump remains when it is cut down so the holy seed shall be in the stump did you get the message did you get the message here Isaiah's not going to have a mega church he's not going to be a mega pastor in fact if you could if you could imagine this if you calculate it Okay, Isaiah, preach for 60 years and you're going to lose 90% of the nation. It's going to turn away from God and be taken into captivity. So much, so much for the church growth movement. It didn't work for Isaiah. But he was faithful to do what God had called him to do. And that was, speak my message. And we discover Isaiah's message. And we discover the key Themes of his message. As you, as you go through Isaiah, you pick up these titles. You pick up these themes through this incredible book. One of those themes is, that, is the title of the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. Say that with me. The Holy One of Israel. That was his special title for God. Found 25 times in this book. And only six times in the, in the whole Bible, in the whole Old Testament. But yet in Isaiah's book, 25 times the Holy One of Israel. In fact, in the fourth verse of chapter 1, I'll read a sampling. Alas, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, brood of evildoers, children are, who are corruptors, they have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked to anger, the, notice, the Holy One of Israel. They have turned away backwards, he says. The Holy One of Israel. You talk about holiness in the pulpits of America today, people start walking out. I don't want to hear that. Give me a positive message. We need to hear this message, whatever you categorize it. Isaiah 41, 14, again, fear not, you worm Jacob, you men of Israel. I will help you, says the Lord, the Redeemer. Notice, the Holy One of Israel. And then, the, then simply, Holy One, four times. Four times in Isaiah, he said in chapter 43, verse 15, I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. But the one I really like, I like those, the Lord of hosts. How many times? Sixty. 
The Lord of hosts used 60 times in the book of Isaiah alone. What is that picture? The mighty God who's a warrior, who is a leader of the armies. He's capable of all of, uh, to defeat all of Israel's enemies and provide for her survival. The Lord of hosts. 60 times. 6-0. The Lord of hosts. The God of the armies of Israel. How I many know God's never lost a battle? Now, we may lose some battles because we leave our captain and leave the Lord of hosts. But if we'll allow him to lead us, America can, lead, can have victory. We can have victory and we can see great things continue to happen. And then the theme, the remnant. The remnant means literally survivors. And it's designated. It's a, it's a theme in Isaiah. Find the word remnant throughout Isaiah. And what you find is a, the, those who remain faithful. The small group of people in Israel at that time, during the time of apostasy, when, when most of the nation had gone away from God and His word and His and loyalty to Him, but yet you have this remnant of people who remain faithful to the Holy One of Israel, of whom Isaiah was certainly a great encouragement to. The great achievement of Isaiah's life, I think, would have been deliverance from Jerusalem, from the mighty Assyrians. The Assyrian nation had grown even 150 years before Isaiah was born. The great Assyrian nation was gaining power and gaining strength and gaining dominance in the world. And one day you read in the 36th and 7th chapters of Isaiah. You need to read those today. And Assyria comes to the very neck of Jerusalem, up to the very gate. And the Assyrian general, Sennacherib, is mocking Hezekiah outside the gate of Jerusalem. We were in Jerusalem not long ago, and we could, you could almost see how, uh, you could almost in your mind, see that great Assyrian army mocking God. Let me tell you, it's a bad thing to mock God. You'll never win mocking God. And here's Sennacherib mocking God and saying, don't serve God. Don't you know I defeated all these other nations and all, the, all their gods couldn't stop me? But what Sennacherib didn't realize, those weren't gods. Those were dead idols. But we serve the living God, the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Come on. We serve the living God. We serve the mighty God who said, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it was there, Isaiah or Hezekiah the king went into the temple and he, he, took, the, he took the letter from the, from the Assyrians that they had sent to him by an envoy. And he took it and he just, I'm sure, he probably just laid it on the ground and got on his knees. We don't know what to do, Lord. The enemy has surrounded us. And then the Spirit of God speaks to Isaiah and said, you go and tell the king, this is the message I want to give him. And he prophesied to the king. He prayed for the king. He prayed for the nation. And the king took his advice. And I mean, when we obey God, good things happen. If we will obey God in this nation, good things can happen. And that night, as they prayed, and as they trusted God alone and not man, or not anything natural, they just simply trusted in the mighty God of heaven, Jehovah God. And that night, God said, do I have any spare angels? We don't even need to send a whole troop. I'm sure the Lord was just saying, just give me a... Give me a, a, just a small little angel will work. I mean, oh, God's so big. Those angels are mighty. And they're his servants. And you know what? Sometimes he sends them to serve us. The Bible says they entertain angels unaware sometimes. And the Bible says one angel, just one, one angel went out and killed 185,000 Assyrians. Come on, amen. Just one angel. Why? Because they trusted God. And that's Isaiah, the man of God. That's the man of God that we read. It's going to have this message for us this morning. And I'm sure of this, certain of this, that Isaiah was a man of deep piety, deep consecration. And he had to be a man of intense, fervent, dedicated prayer. And I'm sure he spent many, many hours praying for the nation he loved. But I love my nation, and we love our nation. And don't you think that we today should pray for our nation as Isaiah prayed for his? There are three reasons that I want to outline for you this morning, and I'll try. I'll be a little long on the first one, a little short on the second one. Last one will be almost like a conclusion. 
There's three reasons that I believe today that we need to pray for our nation of America that we love. Three reasons. Number one, I believe that we should pray for America because our sins are great and they are many. Number two, we should pray for America because the sins that we're seeing committed in our land is leading us down a path that's going to bring nothing but pain, sorrow, and loss to us. You cannot sin against holy God and succeed. And then lastly, thirdly, we should pray for America because at this very moment, at this very moment, the God of heaven that gave birth to this nation and allowed it to come into existence is standing and he is offering us salvation. And if we will surrender to him and his will and plan and purposes and righteousness, then what will happen is, great. you think America is blessed right now? Rivers of blessing will flow if we'll give God first place. And it starts with us. It starts with the church. Judgment begins in the house of God. We have to set the example for the nation. The churches and the pastors need to speak the word of God for, uh, for, uh, without fear, without compromise again. Let's look at it. First of all, we should pray for America because our sins are great and our sins are many. This nation has been blessed like no other nation. And to sin against God like we're sinning against our Lord and His word is a grave sin indeed. If you could imagine how blessed we are, let's take America, let's take the whole world for a moment, and let's scale the world down to a little bitty town of a thousand people. The whole world is a thousand people. Think about how much God has blessed this nation. If the whole world today were a thousand people, America would be only 60 of those people. But of the 60 people, the Americans would, see, would receive half the income of the entire town. There would be an average life expectancy of 70 years. The other 940 persons would have less than a 40-year lifespan. You get what I'm saying? The 60 Americans would own 15 times as much per person as all of their neighbors. If the world was a thousand people in a little town. Americans would eat 72% more than the maximum food requirements. More than the 940 other persons. Uh, 940 persons would go to bed hungry every night. Of, of 53 telephones in the town. Americans would own 28. The lowest income group among the Americans. Would be better off than the average of the other townsmen. The 60 Americans and about 200 others representing Western Europe and the first classes of South America and Australia and Japan would be relatively well off. The other 75% would be poor. Article in Christianity today. God has blessed this land amazingly. And it's not about our ingenuity. It's not about our hard work. It's about the favor of God. It's about the blessing of God. It's because we started with God. They went to South America looking for gold. They came to America looking for God and the freedom to worship Him in His gospel. So we can't ignore our sins. In the light of God's blessing, our sins have become even darker because to whom much is given, much is required. So we cannot, acknowledge our, we cannot ignore our sin. We must acknowledge our sin. We must face them. First John 1 and 9 says to confess your sins. Confess means to agree with God. We need to agree that what God says about our activities is what the truth is. Not what the seculars say. Not what the, the, the extreme secular minds are producing today. Our university campuses have almost been ruined today as it has to do with, with God. One, one Canadian professor who served 35 years in the university has said that. Now, I didn't say that. Over 30 years serving as a professor in, 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 in a Canadian university, he said as it has to do with, with righteousness, it's almost been ruined so we can't ignore it. You know, the nation of Israel ignored the prophet, of Israel, prophet Isaiah to their own peril. They wouldn't listen. And if we don't listen to the prophets today, it will be to our own peril also. So what are the sins 
of Judah. What were the sins of Judah that we see here in the first chapter? Such a large chapter, I cannot even read it all. But I'll, I'll touch through some and you'll read, hopefully, the chapter in your own time. But why would you talk about the sins of Judah? Because they look eerily similar to what's happening in America today. Nothing new under the sun. What are they? Let me just let me go through these. First of all, we find in verse 4, look at that. All sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, brood of evildoers, children of a, who are corruptors. Notice, they have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked to anger the Holy One of Israel. They have turned away backwards. One of the sins that we're committing in America is we've turned, back on the, we've turned our backs on the Lord in many ways. And we've turned our backs on our spiritual heritage. There is an incredible spiritual heritage that we have in this country. But they were successful in getting the Bible out of school. You know why? Because if you can destroy the young people, if you can corrupt their minds, if you can brainwash them, then in 40, 50 years, you completely change the nation. And i gotta, got to give it to them. In many ways, they succeeded. You can stick your head in the sand. I will not. They've succeeded in many, many ways. But it's not hopeless. God can turn this around and I thank God for the young people that we have in our church. I thank God for what God has done in Brother Reese's life and how he's ministering to these young people and he's telling them the way of God in righteousness. But we're turning our backs on our spiritual heritage. The Bible says another context, but you'll get the, the same subject in a sense. It would be better to not have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then who have turned from the holy command of God. Our nation used to be a church-going nation. I can remember as a little boy, I'd ride my bike at the shopping center. I was born in 1965, and as a six- or seven-year-old kid, I'd ride my bike down around the shopping center. On Sunday, nothing open. Only convenience store. You get a little gas, you get some food, some milk, etc. Nothing was open. People weren't out trying to barter and trying to get money. You say, did everyone go to church? No, but more people went to church. We were a church-going nation. It breaks my heart. It breaks my heart that Sunday is like Monday. Sunday is like Tuesday. We say, we, it's, not a, that, it's a day of resurrection for the church. And when people see us treating Sunday like Monday, they don't take our God seriously because we don't even take our God seriously. Come on, let's, let's acknowledge the truth. Sunday's a day of resurrection. Sunday's the day that our Lord came out of the grave. And for 2,000 years, the church has met on Sunday. But now we're seeing, we're seeing our nation move away from God. We're seeing our nature. We're selling our spiritual heritage. And now, after 2,000 years of meeting on the day of resurrection, which is Sunday, not Saturday, Sunday, we're seeing people let that go. I'm not letting it go. I'm not letting it go. When my daughter, my 31-year-old, was in cheerleading, and they said, well, you've got to do this on Sunday. And I said, we're quitting. We're quitting. She went to the national cheerleading competition in, in Myrtle Beach, California. And then when they came back, well, we're going to have to do this on Sunday and that on Sunday. I said, we quit. And she never did it again. Never again. Won't sell Sunday for some ignorant sporting event. Won't do it. My daughter's 31 years old. She's a pastor's wife over here in Dallas. You can call her. I'll give you her number. Ask her if she regrets it. Ask her if she regrets that her dad took a stand for righteousness. Ask her dad. Ask her if she got, she got a message that we serve Jesus Christ and we serve him first. But in America, we're selling. We're selling our spiritual heritage. We've turned our backs on God. Are you hearing me today? This is what Isaiah is ministering to, just like us today. Here's the second thing, thing that happened. Verse 3, look at it. The ox knows its owner, the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. Notice, Israel does not know. My people do not consider. Here's the second sin. Willful spiritual ignorance and neglect of spiritual things. My people don't know because they don't want to know. One of my dear friends was in China. If you know what's going on in China, you don't want to live in China. You don't want to be a Christian and live in China. Hidden house churches. 
he would have to be smuggled in this car and drive here and switch to this car and then go to this place and then finally smuggle him into a place. Now look at this. Think about it. I want you to think about this. He smuggled Bibles in, little Bibles, Chinese language. At the last meeting, last day, he's about to leave. He had one left. And the Lord quickened his heart, and there was a gentleman, old gentleman, in the back of the doorway, just standing there. The whole place was packed. He said uh, to the, through the interpreter, tell the gentleman, the old gentleman, right there by the, in the doorway, tell him to come here. I have a gift for him. And he called him down, and the interpreter told him, said, this, the evangelist has a gift for you. And the evangelist took, took the little pocket testament out and said, he said, tell this gentleman that the Lord told me to give this to him as a gift. This is his he said, dear God, dear God, can you imagine this? Can't imagine this. He took that thing and he fell on his knees. He began to cry and he began to weep. Tears came down and the evangelist said, what's he saying? What happened? What happened? And that old man, through the, back to the interpreter, the evangelist says, I have prayed my whole life. I have prayed my whole life for, my, for a Bible, to just have a Bible of my own. And God has heard my prayer. And yet, any one of us can go down the street to a building full of Bibles, full of spiritual literature. And some of us in this room have never even read the book through. Our sin, willful ignorance. What higher knowledge, what higher knowledge could we have than the Word of God? There's no wisdom like this wisdom. This is true. This tells me what the true God is like. This tells me that He's Creator. Come on. This tells me that He loves me. This tells me that He's holy. Holy, holy, holy. This tells me that He came in the person of His Son, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. It tells me of miracles. It tells me of what the past is, what the present, what God's will is now. It tells me what, it's a prophetic book. It tells me what the future is. And let, are we reading it? Are we, are we telling our children about it? Most American families find no pleasure in God. Everything else, but no pleasure in God. Willful ignorance. Spiritual neglect. And then sometimes it's outright rebellion. Verse 5 says, you, verse 5, middle part of the verse. You will revolt more and more. Your whole head is sick. Your heart faints. Rebellion. We have rebelled against God's holy command in our land in many ways. But that really doesn't bother, bother most American families. That we're sinning greatly against God. We're violating His commands. But most American families more concerned about some sporting event, get more worked up over whatever, some kind of thing that don't matter at all. But they're not really concerned. Is God pleased or not? Verse 17, quickly. Verse 17, learn to do good, seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Have compassion. Look outside yourself. This, this may be one of the most selfish generations the world has ever known. With our selfies. I even see pastors. Never had a private thought. I prayed. I saw one guy one time. I rebuked him for it. Went down and did a homeless deal. And he's sitting there like he's doing a, a photo op with a homeless guy. Using the homeless guy to build his little self-righteousness, I guess. God sees through that false humility. We live in a selfish generation, and in many ways, the church is very selfish. God forgive us. Deep-seated selfishness, self-centeredness. One thing I've learned in 35 years of ministry, and this may, be, this may sound very pessimistic, and I'm not a pessimistic person. I'm a positive person, but I'm a truthful person. And one of the things I've learned about many carnal church people is this. Men should be lovers of themselves. I've learned that the hard way. What are sins? Why should we pray for America? Because we have many sins. They're great sins. Verse 4. Look at verse 4, please. Ah, oh, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, brood of evildoers. And then in verse, verse number 10, 
He says here, look at this. Hear the word of the Lord. Look, notice, you rulers of Sodom, give ear to the law of your God, you people of Gomorrah. Well, we know what that's about. Here's another one of our sins in America. Look, listen to me. Gross immorality. Gross immorality, which has provoked God to anger. There is gross immorality in America today. Immorality is celebrated today. Paraded in the streets today. But you know what's frowned on? Get a young person and, that says, I'm a virgin. I've never slept with a person before I went to the marriage bed. They'll be mocked out of the classroom. They'll mock you. They love darkness. They mock light. Isn't that something? Didn't Isaiah talk about that? We have a generation of youth who've been fed a steady diet of immorality. Gross immorality. It has permeated the mind, even of the Christian church. I sat across the desk with two people that were living in immorality. And I pled with them from the Word of God. I said, here's what the Word of God says. You're not to live that way. And this was after four weeks of counseling, by the way. I pled with them. This is what the Holy Word of God says. Flee from your sin. They were as cold as just no conviction. No sense of grieving the Holy Spirit. I looked straight at them. I've been known to be quite bold at times. I looked straight at them. I said, let me tell you what I think. And I said, I, I, I know that I'm probably going to offend you. I said, it's not my intention to offend you. But the Holy Ghost told me driving here tonight to not leave you with a false assurance. He told me three times, do not leave them with a false assurance. I said, I'm going to tell you what I think is going on here. I think I have read you the holy word of God. I have pled with you for four weeks of the lifestyle that you're living. And you know what God has said. And you'll sit there with a cold heart. I said, I'm going to tell you what I think is going on. And I looked at both of them. I said, I don't think either one of you have ever been saved. I don't think you have ever come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Because Romans says, they that are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. And you're certainly not be led by the Spirit of God. You're in gross immorality and you need to repent. Well, she got so angry with me. I could care less if she got angry. Really, I didn't care. She got angry. Ah, this. I go to church and this. I could care less if you go to church. Do you know Jesus Christ? She stormed out. About wanted to curse my name. Gentleman was sitting there. I looked at him. He looked at me. I looked at him. He looked at me. Here's what he said. She always does this. <laughs> that's what he said. I thought, more power to you, brother. If that's what you want to get into, I want to say to him, flee for your life, run. <laughs> this has crept into the church. You know what the Bible says about immorality? About the church. And I know the world. I know how the world is. I don't expect much from them. That's the way they live. They're lost. They, that's the way they do. They live out of their nature. I'm not beating them up. I'm talking about the church. The Bible said in Ephesians, don't let that kind of lifestyle even be once named among you because you're so holy and godly and righteous before God. How many of you think our kids need to hear this? I wish they were here and not at camp, but they're getting good word there too, I'm sure. Here's another sin, verse 2. Hear, O heavens, give ear, O earth. For the Lord has spoken. Notice this. I have nourished, God says. I have brought up children. They have rebelled against me. Notice this. I have nourished. I have nourished. I have brought up children. Here's another sin. Ingratitude for the Lord's mercies. Verse 9 says, Unless the Lord had left a very small remnant, they wouldn't even survived. The Lord redeemed Israel. The Lord brought them out with a mighty hand. Sent Moses down there. Slay the lamb. Came across with miracles. And now here they are in Isaiah's time. And they're so far, far, far from God. And, and we say, oh, bad Israel. No, no, no. What about us? What about America? What's God done in America? I mean, you, we have such gospel availability. Churches on every corner. Preachers on the radio. Preachers on the TV. Some of that you don't need to listen to, by the way. But anyway... What have we done with it? We ought to all go home and just fall on our knees and say, thank you, Jesus. 
that I wasn't raised in some communist country, in some, some godless country where I've never heard the name of Jesus. We've not heard him once. We've heard him tens of thousands of times. What a blessing on our kids. Do you realize there's people in our world still today that have never heard the name of Jesus? Hard to believe in our modern day. I'm telling you, there are places that have never had an adequate witness of the gospel. But look how God's blessed America. And we'd rather be at the fishing hole than, 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 than to hear the word of God or be in a Sunday school class or, or be in a prayer meeting. What's happened to us? We're turning our backs on God. Our sins are great. Our sins are many. We need to pray. Here's another sin. Verse 4. Notice this. Brood of evildoers. Children who are corruptors. Here's another sin. And that is we're leading our children down a godless path. Notice this. Brood of children who are the corruptors. So the question is this. Have we taught our children how to be a people of integrity? And this man right here, I walked in. He walked in today and I said, I owe you some money. He said, oh, that's not why I'm here, and I appreciate that. But that's the first thing I thought. Because you know why, Brother Millard? Christians pay their bills. Don't try to witness to someone if you don't pay your bills. What are they going to say? Oh, they're not, they're not what they say they are. See, have we taught our children what integrity is? What about godliness? Have we taught them what pleases God? Have we taught them how to pray? Have we taught our children that they're one day going to stand before holy God and give an account to Him? And I would say for the most part in the American landscape and family, no. We have, we have misrepresented God. And all we talk about is love. Love, 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 love. Well, let me tell you, God is love. We see that on the cross. But listen, but God's major characteristic is not love. It's holy. Three times, holy, holy, holy. Nowhere else in Scripture do you see love, love, love. Why? God wants to communicate something very important. Is He a God of love and mercy? Oh, yes, He is a thousand times, a million times. But He is a holy God and will not tolerate sin. He's patient, but He's not tolerant. He's patient, not tolerant. Now, some of you have to think about that. Go home and think about that. Patient, absolutely. Tolerant, no. He's a holy God. God. Verse 22 through 23, I won't read that, but just talks about money and greed and bribes. And that is a God in America, the God of money. The God of money. Jesus said, You cannot serve God and mammon. And this, another sin that upsets God, is empty worship. Empty worship. Now I'm going to read a little portion here. Put this up. Chapter 1, verse 11, beginning. To what purpose? This, this, is, this is Israel. This is Jerusalem. Going to the church house. Going to the temple. Here's what God says. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices? Why are you coming to my house and worship me with those sacrifices, says the Lord? I have had enough of the burnt offerings of rams and of fat and fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls and of lambs and of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required this of your hand to trample my courts? Oh, they're all going to church. But look at this. Bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moon, the Sabbath, and the calling of the assembly. Now notice this. Are you listening? Come on. Listen. I cannot endure iniquity and the, and the sacred meeting. I cannot endure iniquity and the sacred meeting. Come to the house of God, full of sin, not taking it seriously, going through the motions, checking off the box, but not really worshiping holy God. God said, I can't take that. Your new moons, your appointed feasts, my soul hates. That's what God says. My, whole, my soul hates that kind of worship. They are a trouble to me. I am weary of bearing them. You have spread out your hands, uh, and I, but I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. There again, takes us back to verse 18. Though your sins be as scarlet, your hands are full of blood. You're caught red-handed, America. You're guilty before me. But I want to reason with you. I want to offer you my mercy. I want to offer you grace. Israel and Judah is like a wounded soldier on a battlefield. We find that in verse 5. Why should you be stricken again? You will revolt more and more. Notice your whole head is sick. Your heart faints. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been clo closed or bound up or soothed with ointment. 
laying on a battlefield, putrefying swords. I wonder what God sees and looks down with the spiritual condition of our nation. Does he say that we are the land of the free, the home of the brave? Does he acknowledge that in God we trust and he likes that? Or is he looking on us and saying you're full of putrefying sores? I wonder. Another sin is that that God sent correction to the nation, but they despised his correction. They despised it. Verse 5, will you be stricken again? God's already sent some temporary initial judgment. He says, will you be stricken again? Are you going to keep revolting? I've sent my judgment. I've tried to get your attention. I've tried to wake you up. But will you rebel more and more? And Isaiah is saying this. If the nation of Judah doesn't stop rebelling against God, further judgments will be coming. Where are we heading in our nation? Where are we heading in America? I would say this, as I've read this book, if America continues on its present course, we will face the very judgment of God. For the Bible says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever man sows, that shall he also reap. If he sows to the flesh, he shall of the flesh reap corruption. But if he sows to the Spirit, she shall of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And I would say this to us as Americans. Let us not be weary in well-doing, doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not faint. Why should we pray for America? Sins are great. Our sins are many. I could talk about abortion, which is probably the worst sin that we've committed. Millions Precious boys and girls slaughtered like animals. Someone just told me briefly, just right before service, the most liberal abortion law was put up in Illinois. Dear God, it's a wonder God didn't wipe us all out. Precious children. Second one will be very much quicker. We need to pray for America because our sins are leading us to a path that's going to be filled with pain, sorrow, and loss. Isaiah, Isaiah prophetically saw, you know, prophets were seers. And I believe that God still has seers in the church. And prophets were those that loved the nations deeply. They, they were deeply moved. They wept a lot of tears. The, you know, the, the false narrative that you hear that these prophets were all just mean. No, they cared deeply, passionately. They were deeply spiritual men. And Isaiah was such a man. He could see where they were going. And God sent the prophet to try to stop the nation from go, plunging headlong into destruction. And in verses 27 through 31, you see the judgment there. You see the judgment. I won't read that for time's sake. What does our future look like? Well, it depends on our choice, doesn't it? Psalm 9 and 7 says, The wicked shall be turned into hell, and all the nations who forget God. Proverbs 14, 34, which I've quoted, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Sin will always bring misery. Always. Righteousness brings happiness. Righteousness and truth. Sincerity from the heart brings blessing, and brings peace, and brings true prosperity. Righteousness will always bring prosperity on its heels. But Isaiah said in 57, 20, the wicked are like a troubled sea. Why are so many people troubled today? Why so much mental things? Why so much marriage breakup? Why so much rebellion? Why even in our own area right here, in our own county, a rash of robberies? Just last week we had our van stolen. They stole our van. I was hoping they wouldn't find it, but they did. They found it down in Dallas. They busted our, win- busted our windows out. We had to pay probably going to be close to $1,000 to get all that fixed. Money that we really don't need to spend and have to spend. Why are people like that? You know, and I saw the article in Garland, the special needs facility over there that they, they have... Uh, a place where they minister to those with special needs and they have a place for them to go and they do activities. It looked like a wonderful place to me. And they had it on video. Some thieves stole the Cadillac converter off of their, their van and, and they're not going to be able to drive. It's going to cost them two grand to get it fixed. Why is all that happening? Sin. S-I-N. Sin. That's what's wrong. And it brings misery. 
and those that are doing it will pay. Romans 2.9 says this, Tribulation anguish to every soul of man who does evil. God gives no pl- promise of blessing. I'll close with this. The third thing is this. We should pray for America because at this moment, God is calling us. And he's offering us something incredible. He's offering us salvation. Because Judah's answer is our answer. And the answer is this. Come, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. The ancient answer is our answer. The word reason there means to decide a a case in court. But instead of pronouncing judgment, the judge is going to offer pardon. I mean, they stand there. Though your sins are scarlet, you're standing there. And you're guilty before God. And the judge has all the authority and all the power to pronounce sentence. And yet he's going to offer pardon. He's going to offer mercy. But only on one condition. Verse 16 and 17 says this. Wash yourself. Make yourself clean. Put away evil from your doings from my eyes. See some evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. In other words, repent. Cleanse your heart. Turn away from sin. Quit all that secret sin. Get your heart right with God. If you'll turn to me, I will, I will, I will cleanse you. And then if you be willing and obedient, you can eat the good of the land. But if you refuse, he says, but if you, refu- but if you refuse and rebel, verse 20, you should be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Verse 20. Look at, look at, come let us, verse 18. Come let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Verse 19. Here will be the result. If you're willing and obedient, you will eat the good of the land. Verse 20. But if you refuse and rebel, you should be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. I want you to take a flag. If you musicians would come, I want you to take a flag and stand with me. If you would, please. If you would, there's a flag in the back of your, your chair there, or one, or, or one in very close proximity. I want you to take a flag. I want you to stand with me. As they begin to, if you begin to play, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus. I want you to take that flag and I want you to take it home and place it in a conspicuous place. We love our nation. Grieves our heart to see what is happening right now. The forces of sin and Satan that have gripped many parts of our land. Forces and power structures that are against the word of God but God can turn it around let's pray for our land right now our father and our God we thank you for our nation we believe you love this nation we believe that you deeply love this nation but Lord we also believe that you're deeply grieved by what is going on within the nation there are forces that are anti-bible and we're seeing things happening court cases oh God of people that are, that, are, that are following their conscience and they're being drugged into court and they're saying, I can't do that because I'm a Christian. I can't do this because I have a conviction in the Word of God and they're being dragged into liberal courts. Oh God, we pray for your church, first of all. We pray for your church in the nation. We pray for a revival, an outpouring of your Spirit upon us. We pray for cleansing, that we repent of all known sin. That we would repent of everything that grieves your heart. Those that people may see, but those things that are deep down in our hearts that maybe no one knows. And today we say, Lord, cleanse us. We, will, we accept your offer of cleansing. We need your cleansing today. And Lord, your word says that if we confess our sins, that you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
We ask you to cleanse our nation. We ask you, O God, to send forth your mighty spirit and let people begin to call upon the Lord. Let people in our land begin to fall under deep and holy conviction and begin to turn to you, God, because you're the only answer. We pray for our leaders in this land. We pray for our president, our vice president, our Congress, our Senate. We pray for our Supreme Court justices. We pray for those in leadership. We pray, God, that you would get a hold of their hearts. And Lord, let them begin to fight for our nation again. Let them begin to come together in truth and begin to work together to further this nation. We pray they'd stop fighting each other. Oh, God. Any nation that's divided, any people that are divided, they will not stand because the seeds of destruction are already growing. Oh God, we pray for our leaders that you would speak to their hearts as, as they lay on their beds at night. Begin to show them your word and your truth, God. We pray for your divine help. We don't want to turn our backs on you, but we pray for revival. Come on, pray with me right now. Just call, pray. Father, we pray for revival. We pray for the mighty outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Let it start in our homes. Let it start in our marriages. Let it start in our private family times of Bible reading and prayer. Let us get back to you. Lord, I know we live in a busy schedule, but we've got to take some time. We've got to find some time. We've got to make some time for you, oh God. Oh, Father God, we thank you. Right there where you are, just ask God to cleanse. Maybe there's something that privately that you want to confess to the Lord. Just confess it. He's merciful. He's gracious today. Merciful God. I can't wait till we get our other building up. We're going to put some prayer benches in there so we can come around and get on our knees and pray. That's a good thing. Help us, God. Help us, O Lord, our God. Help the situation in Iran. God, keep our soldiers and our military safe. Thank you for each person that serves. Keep us strong, God, from the forces that would love to destroy us and our way of life. Preserve us, Lord. We need you to protect us, Lord. Send your angels to protect our land. We need your help. In Jesus' name.